Hi everyone, welcome back to the Scottish Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host Chris and here we delve into the multitude of strange occurrences that happen in Scotland and beyond. You can contact us with your accounts at the Scottish Paranormal Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all social media channels and you can contact us by either means. If you want to help the show grow, please like, subscribe and share. Wherever you pick up the content, this could be via audio or via YouTube. We'll get right into it now and we'll welcome our next guest into the show. spoke to Tim, I've been on Tim's show before as well, mm. um, just to talk about some stuff for the podcast and stuff in this area, and uh, mm. I'd always kind of wanted to speak to you, you know what I mean, so I thought I'd kind of reach out and uh, see if we can get you on, you know what I mean, just to kind of pick your brains a wee bit um, about some of the kind of insights you, you've got and uh, things as well, but just before we start, um, would you like to just introduce yourself and just basically kind of, um, just basically about the monastic Guinea life and stuff like that, just a, a short kind of brief intro about that. So sure, yeah, whatever, yeah, 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 no problem, no problem. Do you want me to go ahead? Yeah, yeah, just go for it. Yeah, okay, sure. Okay, so my name is uh, Brother Richard. I am a Capuchin Franciscan friar. Um, for most people, uh, those words mean um, unusual things nowadays, but uh, Franciscan we'll start with. So I follow St. Francis of Assisi. I'm part of the Franciscan order, um, the order of brown monks as they were known. We wear a brown uh, brown robe uh, with a white cord as a belt um, and uh, was founded in 1209 by St. Francis of Assisi as a way of living the gospel in a kind of a more radical way. Um, part of the great monastic tradition uh, within the Catholic uh, tradition as well. Uh, Capuchin is the branch of the Franciscan order I belong to. Um, we were a reform group around about the late 1500s that wanted to return to a more radical living of the Franciscan way of life that was balanced between meditation, contemplative prayer, and um, action on behalf of the poor, particularly those who were in need. And then friar just means brother. Uh, that's the title within the, within the order. So I currently work in inner city Dublin. I'm pastor of one of the oldest parishes in Dublin here. It was originally founded for Vikings. Uh, who uh, came in and decided that they wanted to live a quieter life than they had been used to. Um, so uh, they were held just outside the city walls, just in case. And that was when <laughs> church was built for us there. Our own Capuchin community has been here since the early 1600s. And uh, we've um, a number of, of kind of um, pastoral initiatives here. We work with the poor. We have a homeless center that feeds around about 800, 900 people every day, free clinic. Um, bits and pieces that are offered to people along the way. And my day job as such is teaching meditative, contemplative prayer to anyone who's who's interested. Um, so that's a little about me. Well, well thanks for your service to, to people right, in that area as well. I mean, it's, it's amazing. No problem, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, could you, I mean, you've you've recently brought out um, a book on still points about our mindfulness. Yeah. Why don't you just have a, a short brief about that? Sure. Um, you're very kind to mention it. Yeah, it 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 um it came about because since 2002, no, 2005, I've been sort of active on various forms of social media. Um, in those days, my job was I was working with young people a lot, second level and third level schools, and so um 
I started uh, kind of creating reflective material based on our own contemplative Christian tradition, but also crossing over into the kind of world of, of mindfulness in its um, sort of more modern way of introducing meditation to people. Uh, those two things came together and, you know, on places like Facebook and Instagram and all of that, there were a number of reflections kind of put together. Um, and so round about two, three years ago now, um, uh, working with a publisher, we kind of gathered them, put them together. And Still Points is, if you remember the old kind of gardening almanacs years ago, where you'd have a book um, that most gardeners had that told you when to plant and when to, to weed and when to, to harvest and all of those kind of things. The idea is that it's an almanac of the spirit. So it moves through the four seasons of the year, reflects on nature, reflects on the great kind of feasts, a little bit of folklore, um, and also then meditative teachings for um, each month of the year um, and also the kind of Christian calendar of feasts as well. So um, that came out um, September, 12 months ago. And the, the audio version is narrated by yourself. As well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been told I'm I'm very good at putting people to sleep. So so that's <laughs> a good cure for insomnia. The audio version is there, no problem. Not at all. It comes it comes with the territory and for mindfulness <laughs> and meditation. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's yeah. good. It's, it's, it's it's going to be next to my audio. Um, I was I always check to see like the the audio versions because uh, quite a lot of time I spend a wee bit of time on the road. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I became a, a total lazy reader um, since I had to actually get glasses for reading. So <laughs> I'm a, I'm a purely, um, I do still read, but uh, um, mainly like yeah, audios and stuff like that. I'm, so, I'm the same. I'm on the road a lot, so a lot of my my reading now is um, by listening, and and kind of the podcast world then takes over after that. So yeah, yeah, yeah I'm pretty much the same because I, I do a bit of travel in my work and stuff. So I usually can just. If there's I've not got any calls of that coming through, I usually just put an audio book on and, and kind of crack. Sometimes listen to the books a few times as well. You know, I know mean, yeah. right after each other, go back through the books again and try and take it in a wee bit more and, and things yeah. like that. But, um, that's yeah. but that's what I was checking. I was checking um, the book out and I was like, I, was, I noticed the audio. So I like to double check to see if it's a, because like sometimes quite a lot of the time when people do, as you know, the audio books, it's, it's narrated by somebody else. Um, yeah, I remember just, some, some years ago being being given um, by a Buddhist friend of mine. It was the audio, and those days it was on tape, but it was yeah, the audio yeah. version of um, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, which for some strange reason had been narrated by John Cleese. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, he was doing it perfectly seriously, yeah. but I just I just couldn't take it seriously. I had to return to the actual volume and read it instead because. Um, uh, you, you had visions of Basil Fawlty dancing through your head, no matter how no <laughs> collected he was, as he was. That's quite funny. Uh, that is quite funny. It's good. Listen, well, well, thanks very much for coming on um, and giving us uh, some of your time. Um, so I was kind of, I was wanting to kind of like go through some things about just your thoughts and obviously maybe um, what you've maybe researched in the past and through obviously your studies within the church and stuff like that as well. Um, I know obviously. The, a, a quick question for you in, in regards to um you've got a lot of knowledge in the supernatural in regards to um it comes it comes to the territory obviously um <laughs> yes yeah but, yeah yeah, just, yeah but did you did you have another apart from what you what you learn with the territory um did you have a a kind of um I'm more inclined to have interest in it yourself in regards to the supernatural and folklore yeah and i i i suppose um a lot of it goes back to family, 
as as these things often do. Um, so it, again, it's only in retrospect, looking back, that you realise that this was a thread that had actually been um, part of the kind of family story for for a long time. So. Um, I think it's it's fair to say to 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 a Scotsman, uh, I, there is something of this in the Celtic blood. There is there is no doubt about that. I think there's there's a kind of a an experience or thread, if you want to call it that. Um, and within my family, mostly it had manifested through my mother's ancestral line. So I can go as far back as my great great grandmother, um, who was known. Um, she was a bit of a healer, really. In in those days, the kind of name that they would have put on her uh, in the city of Dublin was a sharp woman. She was known as a sharp woman. Mm-hmm. And sharp meant wise, basically. Um, so in, in that instance, um, she was called out for birth or death. You know, um, again, a poor inner city family and life. Um, so things like doctors and hospitals and medical expenses generally didn't happen for for the ordinary and everyday people. They managed things themselves. And she was one of the managers. She was a great woman of faith, great woman of prayer. Um, But she was called out and she would pick up her bag, I'm told. She had a special bag that nobody else was allowed to go near um, that had all of her bits and pieces. And she would take that off and she would sit with the dying and ease them over. And she would be with the women who were were giving birth. And uh, she was known as being lucky to, to have in the house for either a death or a birth that the, the, the dead died quiet and, and that those being born came well into the world. So there was that kind of a, of a feeling there. What was before her, I don't know, but I imagine because it has come down, it, there was probably stuff before her as well. Um, my great grandmother uh, was an extraordinary lady who kind of put a lot of her effort into um, kind of breaking boundaries, I, I suppose. Um, uh, she married, uh, uh, she was Catholic, married a, a Protestant, which in those days was very, very difficult. Um, so it was a mixed marriage and um, raised children who were, some of them were were raised as Catholic, some of them were raised as Protestant, um, remained absolutely wonderfully loyal to, to, um, to her own tradition, but also uh, to her husband's as well. And he was involved with a lot of the kind of Republican stuff that was going on at the time here um, in terms of independence. And then my own grandmother was really my kind of beginning teacher in all of this. Um, uh, she was um, a woman of great kind of vision and clarity. Um, she dreamt sharp was the way she put it. So there were there was a quite a number of times I'd call over to the house as a young child and she'd be sitting by the phone and I'd say, you know, did somebody ring? And she'd say, no, no, I'm just waiting for the call. Somebody's dead. Um, and I'd say, well, who? And she said, I don't know yet. I just know somebody's dead. And inevitably the call would come, you know, and and, and, and um, they would kind of call in to see her um, before they left very often. Um, so she was the one who kind of taught me a lot of the old kind of customs about, you know, dealing with that side of life. Um, she would sit in the evenings and kind of look into the fire and she'd see things in the fire and she taught me to see things in the fire and all of that. So that was all just normal in my family. There was nothing, you know, it wasn't considered a cult or anything else like that. It was just considered part and parcel of life. We, we you know, the spiritual and the, and the, um, the natural were one and the same, one and the same story. You could be sitting, looking into the fire one minute and you could be, you know, sent out the back to clean up the garden the next minute, you know, it was, it was, it was all normal. Um, 
my mother had all kinds of, of, of gifts and experiences and things like that. So that was a kind of a flow in the background. And then for myself, I suppose, coming into the 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 Capuchins, the Franciscan tradition particularly, um, again, St. Francis didn't separate the natural from the supernatural. You know, the one was a ladder to get to the other. His great biographer, St. Bonaventure, said of all of all things natural, he made a ladder by which uh, to mount to the heavens. So in the beauty, in, in the beautiful, he saw beauty itself, the divine origin of all things. Um, and that's what we aspire to. You know, we, we aspire to try and to try and see that, to try and live in a way that walks lightly enough upon the earth and recognizes we're part of a community of being. Um, and so from the beginning here, I was living with brothers who uh, lived in, in that way and in that world. They were very ordinary. There was nothing, you know, uh, your listeners shouldn't be thinking of kind of um, levitations and luminosity and stuff like that. It was very ordinary. Yeah. But there were men who lived deeply. I would say as well as living the length of life, they lived the depth of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, quite early on, uh, one or two of them sort of took me under their wing and began to take me out when they would be dealing with kind of supernatural manifestations in ho- and houses and homes and things like that. And um, uh, that sort of put me on this track, <laughs> which eventually led me to to um, to speaking on these kind of podcasts, which I, I never, never in a million years thought I would be doing. Um, and then I suppose I, alongside all of that, uh, when I was younger, I just had a huge, uh, voracious interest in folklore, mythology, um, nowadays, I suppose, what you'd call cryptozoology, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, um, that was kind of another element of the background music. So all of that in some way came together and has produced the person who's talking to you now. And it's only looking back now that I can see how those kind of diverse elements were sort of um, wound through Providence uh, to, to produce this, this kind of um, experience that I'm living now. So when when you look back through time and, and mm. you look through your fa- family's lineage in, in regards to traditions and beliefs and 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 things like that, do you do you see this day and age as well? Do you think a lot of that's lost to some some degree? Or does it depend on the location? Because like it, it seems to be like there's more people were in touch with things in the past, like folklore and the supernatural, and they had it wasn't something like the the strange or like the or like the outcasts or whatever like that. I mean, or um, or or the, like me, people would probably because I'm into UFOs and everything else. That I mean, you're you're just like <laughs> the the odd person or something like that. But it's um, I think the, do you think like these days it's it seems to have been that kind of lost. Or as it went lost, then maybe people start to find it again. I mean, can you, what's your kind of thoughts on that? I, I think we go through cycles of losing and finding. You know, I, I think that's that that's that's certainly true for humanity as a whole. Um, but I, I think the biggest difficulty nowadays is that life is so busy, and there are so many distractions that a lot of people walk through a world that is full of meaning and luminosity and is reaching out to them constantly to communicate presence and other and being. And and we just have the earphones in and the screen in front of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, one of the great works that I've been involved in for the last number of years is, is teaching young people particularly, and sometimes very young people, um, 
some of the kind of reflective, mindful, meditative, contemplative techniques that, that allow us to sort of step into a more reflective way of being. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, everything begins to speak. We, we begin to understand that we live in a universe of, of meaning. It's not, it's not a silent universe out there by any means. Everything is speaking. Everything is singing. And that's why, um, you know, all of this conversation, you know, UFOs, all of this conversation at the moment about non-human intelligence, and maybe there's actually non-human intelligence. Wouldn't it be extraordinary? And I mean, the religions of the world, the mythologies of the world, the folklore of the world, doesn't matter what tradition you come from. Yeah. They've yeah. all been screaming this from the beginning. Yeah. You know, it, whether whether you're living with an indigenous tribe in the middle of the Amazon or whether you're speaking to you know, a Catholic theologian about the angelic hierarchies, they're all speaking about non-human intelligence. And, and the idea that, um, that we, in, in some way, we, it, the duty is on us to learn, to listen and to be present so that we can begin to take part in this and also learn kind of discernment around it. Um, so I, I think in some way, science has done a full circle uh, in, in Europe, because you have the great sundering of faith and mysticism from science, at least officially, at least on the surface, um, with the kind of enlightenment, um, a misnomer, if ever there was one, at, at the end of the, the 1700s, late 1600s, early 1700s. And then you have, you know, about 200 years or so where it becomes impossible to speak about the mystical, the creative, you know, and yet all that stuff is still there. It's all going on in the background. It's all deep down. So we can talk about, you know, um, the DNA helix being discovered, but it was discovered by people who were investigating, you know, the psychoactive effects of drugs and dreams and visions. We have the, the idea of, um, uh, you know, Darwin um, discovering, you know, the, the whole idea of selection, uh, the selection of species. And that's happening at exactly the same time across the across the ocean to the same person, the idea of an idea that has come or its time has arrived. We have the whole of Newtonian um, geometry and physics is based upon a man who was practicing the Kabbalah and ritual magic. So like all of that stuff is there, but it's removed from the narrative. And I think what needs to happen for all of us is to kind of discover that, oh, actually, as I'm only a human being, completely if both sides of these things are present and when they're both present and they're both speaking to each other reason and and emotion um the mind and the soul when they're all in communication with each other then we begin to recognize that we're actually part of this matrix of meaning that is that is present around us and that is all speaking to us and and inviting us in i often think of um the great uh, british humorist and, and writer terry pratchett who died some years ago um he had this lovely piece in one of his books about the fact that um, wherever, in whatever world, worlds that orangutans exist, um, it's often said of them uh, that they can speak but choose not to uh, for fear that they would be put to work. He said, this isn't entirely true. Orangutans do speak, but they speak in orangutan, and we haven't learned to speak orangutan yet. And this is it, you know, we, we have to, to learn. And if you look at all of the great contemplative traditions, whether it's Christian or Buddhist or Hindu or whatever, they all start with slow down, be still, be calm, breathe, and listen. So, I mean, all of the religions can agree on those steps. Yeah. Diversity happens afterwards. Disagreement happens afterwards. That's fine. But they begin with that experience. And when we open ourselves in that way and become calm and become still, I mean, we have it in, in, in the in the 
the, the, the Old Testament, you know, one of the most important lines in the whole of the Old Testament is a line from Psalm 46 that just says, be still and know, be still and know that I am God. In other words, when we become still, we enter into a knowing that is beyond intellectual knowing, but is a knowing in the bones, as they used to say, the old ladies here used to say, do you know it in your blood and in your bones? And if you knew it that way, then that was a real knowing, you know? So I think this is what's happening for us. And all of the discussions, whether it's on your podcast or Strange Familiars or Six Degrees or any of those, they're all following the same kind of path in many different ways, but it's the same path, which is, oh, I wonder what does it mean if the stories are actually true? You know, and then we begin to meet people or listen to people for whom the stories are true, where the stories have actually burst into their life. Um, and then the next step after that is to discover that there's nothing unusual about these people. Um, they're the same as you and me. What ha What's happened is that in some way, either the story has burst in and they've been forced to listen um, or maybe they have just slowed down enough to listen or events have happened in their life that have allowed them to listen. Mm. But if we listen, we'll hear the same thing. Mm. Sorry, that's a long answer to a short question. No, 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 totally. Uh, just one, one quick thing I'll add in there, which is, um, it's off on a slight tangent, but quite funny. Um, my wife showed me a clip of, um, there was a monkey escaped through the Highland Zoo. There was a zoo up in, outside Aviemore. Mm. The monkey escaped for a number of days. And um, it showed the the newsreader um, on a clip of the the zoologist or whatever at the at the thing. Once the the monkey got captured again, um, I was thinking when you're saying the analogy of the orangutan about speaking, and he and he said, "Well, do you think he'll we can escape again?" He said, oh, "I don't think he'd like to with the temperatures outside it and up in the north of Scotland." And he said, well, I bet he's got some stories for his friends. And the guy, the guy said, does he speak? <laughs> no, it, was, it was funny. It was just was on the news. But there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same, same thing, yeah. Interesting enough, though, where the whole disclosure movement that's going on now um, in America, and there's a, there's a vast array of different aspects of that. I mean, on the surface here, for people who mm. are just coming to the subject, and then... People who are like maybe following the subject and following the whole kind of um, behind the scenes, what's going on, and reading between the lines what people are speaking about as well, and and things that are coming out with, with different people, um, like and you get things obviously the same. Like for one kind of thing, people always say, if, if for example, if there is anything there in the land in the White House lawn and whatever else, and then it's going to cause chaos and it's going to cause um, religions to fold and things like that but as you're saying there like these things have been in the scriptures from like dot you know what i mean and uh, yeah. I, I find it interesting where some of the things that came out initially in, in the wash when you had lula zondo and he was talking about some of the higher-ups mm. that they didn't want nothing to do with the whole ufo phenomenon because they thought it was evil or thought it was like demon mm. Satan, mm. you know what i mean but um, I suppose you could understand that viewpoint from where they're coming from in regards well, to yeah. the, the scriptures and, and things like that as well. I think I think there's there's a couple of pieces there. Um, the first is we 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 may be watching something in which many things are true at the same time, which is if we're talking about disclosure, which is it could be um, you know, a moment when 
forces in the government want to tell us the truth as far as they know it. Great, fantastic. If that's the thing. It could also be disinformation. It could also be uh, a fielding exercise to actually find out, well, if we can bring forward all of these people who are working on it in the margins and actually find out what they know, they might actually tell us something that we don't know. And, you know, it could also be kind of a, a way of, of hiding or confusing or obfuscating other truths so that people's, you know, people are distracted in one way or another. But if we come back to that idea, the idea that there are certain people who think, OK, I'm looking at this from a uh, from a particular perspective, a religious perspective, and I therefore judge it to be evil. And so I'm saying we do not approach this or we run away from it or whatever. The question then has to be asked, well, what's their particular perspective? What's their 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 um, uh, their worldview, their understanding that their particular faith gives them? And so far as I can see, in terms of what I've read um, around it, they seem to be coming from um, what I would call a kind of a fundamentalist slash evangelical Christian viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're coming from a very, very... Um, uh, clear understanding for them as to, to you know, everything within this little circle is good and everything outside of this circle is bad. Mm. Um, and if there are things that appear that we don't have um, clear categories for, uh, my job then is to find, does it, do I file it in the circle or outside the circle? So there's a very clear moralizing good, bad, etc. within it. Now, the broader Christian traditions, things like, for example, the Orthodox tradition or the Catholic tradition or whatever, would have a very different way of looking at it. Um, they would say that everything must be considered on its own merits. Uh, so, in other words, if you turn up in front of me um, and uh, I don't know you from Adam, then my job is to listen deeply enough to you and to your way of being and to the way you talk and to the way you act, etc. And from that, then make a discernment as to, well, is this somebody who's um, bringing goodness into my life? Is this someone who's bringing you know, difficulty or, or, or could lead me the wrong way or whatever it might be? And then I change my behavior according to that. When we come to the UFO question, uh, what, what our evangelical Christian friends are missing is that there has been around about 2,000 years of debate and, and um, conversation uh, and, and questioning around everything from are we the only ones in the universe right the way back to, um, uh, to the idea of if we have an infinitude of worlds filled with an infinitude of peoples, where does that actually place us? Where does that put us? So all of those questions already have been answered and there's a philosophical framework for all of them. As far back as the, I think it was around the year 1100, there was a guy called Virgilius of Salzburg. He was an Irishman who, who lived in Salzburg. As a, he was a bishop and he was the first Vatican astronomer. And he wrote a book on the idea that perhaps there was another earth on the other side of the sun. And if there was, that was probably where the fairies and the elves lived. And um, they would they were able to travel from there to here. Now, it was a speculation. That's all it was, a speculation. Um, but at the time, there were the fundamentalists in those days as well, who um, rabidly said, well, he's going outside of scripture. Um, he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not doing his, his, um, his homework properly. And so therefore, we'll report him to the Inquisition, the kind of, you know, the peer review of its time, shall we say. Um, 
And he was roundly re- rejected and he was told, go away and have a think about it. And he came back and said, it's just a speculation. That's all it is. And he went on. Now, he's a canonized saint. Um, but the idea that lo- a lot of people are missing is that within the tradition itself, the broader tradition, there has been lots and lots and lots of conversation about it. That's not me saying they're good or they're bad. I don't know. But I think it's a better place to come from to say, we don't know. And until we actually have knowledge, you know, actual knowledge, as opposed to just experience, anecdote, um, etc., we can look at something and say, okay, let's take the, the sort of the alien abduction thing in, 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 as, as, as though it is 100%, you know, X-Files real, Okay. We can say there are physical things coming into our, our lives or into our into our homes or whatever, and they are physically hurting or examining. And we don't seem to have any power to be able to change that or, or, or get rid of it. We then have the fact that if that's considered in one thing by as one little element of human experience by itself, that's what that looks like. But if I'm wise enough to look beyond that, I will discover that very, very similar things have been reported for thousands of years, you know, right the way back to to the beginning of recorded history Um, with different names and at times different look. But the folklore of a thousand years ago actually gives me more power to deal with that situation um, than the science of today does. Mm It gives me the power to integrate it into an experience of multiplicity of being. And it also gives me, um, you know, it takes away the ontological shock, that great phrase that everybody is using at the moment. There is no ontological shock for for the religions when it turns out that there are other things there because they've been saying there's other things there forever. Definitely. Um, the second element, though, is that folklore, and Tim Renner is always saying this, folklore remains because it works. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you have the folklore that, you know, um, it's it's not good to invite things into the house without knowing their intentions or what they are. There's a reason for that. It's because somebody got bitten along the way by something, you know, something went wrong. Uh, and, and the same is true for for dealing with visitors, if we want to call them that or whatever, whatever they might be. So what we discover then is that within the folkloric end of things. There are time-proven um, remedies that can stop this from happening. Now, if it worked with the things that we called, you know, the good people or the 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 the, um, the various forms of bo- ghosts and bogies and all of that kind of stuff a thousand years ago, and it now works with the others. Well, the logical inference is that we're dealing with something that has at least something in common. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these two things must be, must have elements in common. So I think going back to our friends, uh, whether it's the, what do they call the, Con- the Condon or the Condine group or whatever it is, um, Collins Elite, this, this idea that the, of these group of people saying, run away from them, they're dangerous. Yeah. You know, I have no issue with saying run away from anything until you know what it is. Um, be be clear about what it is. But I think we're only being told a very little bit of the story. Yeah. And the more the research goes on into, it's like the Newtonian thing. We get Newton's geometry, but we don't get his alchemy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we look at 
all of the kind of scientists who were involved at the very beginnings of the kind of modern disclosure pathway going back to the 1940s, 47s, whatever, 45, 47, end of things. And we dive down a little deeper. We discovered that a lot of these guys were involved in things like ritual magic. They were involved in things like um, uh, various forms of, of um, uh, spiritualism, etc. All of all of that, that kind of stuff there. Now, as scientists looking at things, but also looking for, for um, modes that worked, mm-hmm. You have to ask the question, you know, have they connected in some way? Is there is there a connection with all of this? That does not mean that there are not extraterrestrials or interdimensionals that are just other beings. It doesn't mean that at all. Mm-hmm. But it means we have to be careful, I think, constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that wide understanding of what's there rather than in a narrow, it's always going to be black, white. It's always going to be angel or demon. Yeah. You know, the, the, the full ecosystem there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, various philosophers along the way um, propose what they call the, the infinite ladder of being, that between two beings, there will always be another being that, 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 that has the, the, the elements of both on either side. So we can go right the way through from, you know, the divine all the way down to inanimate matter, if such a thing actually exists, all the way down to that and say there is an infinitude of places and points along the way because divine creativity is infinite. So if the divine is going to be creative and fulfill its divinity, one has to assume that there is an infinite variety of being. Um, and this would mean that, that between us as sort of the, um, the mixture of, of matter and, and, and spirit that human beings seem to be, or matter and consciousness, if you want to call it, go, go that way, um, and say the angels who traditionally would be seen as just spirit, there is an infinite number of possibilities between, between those two things. Um, an, infinite, an infinite variety. I, I found it interesting recently. Um, it was a, a conversation on a podcast with Diana Pasolka. And it was, mm. in a, it was in a recent book as well. Um, when she was um, visiting Jack Valet. Jack Valet, he's been studying this from basically probably one of the longest UFO researchers, not I mean it's out there now, and he's been working with the government on certain things as well and, and whatever. Mm. So he's probably got a bit of knowledge there, maybe some things he can't talk about, but he's he's still in the mindset where, it's, I don't know, when he talks, he still realises he doesn't know what it is to some degree. But it was interesting that when Diana Pasolka went to visit him, and this is a man who's like computer scientist, been involved in kind of the whole kind of UFO, he's been a scientist, I mean, whole kind of UFO thing. And um, he had a, a vast array um, of books on angels and fallen angels. Mm. Um, mm. Like a lot. <laughs> I mean, and that seemed to be like his interest in that, you know what I mean, as well, and the fact that as well he was a, a Rosicrucian and and as well as, um, what's his name? Nothing wrong with that, but in regards to oh, me, just, he, Heineck, Heineck was Heineck, 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 as well, yeah. Just so fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. absolutely yeah. fascinating to see this. This is woven all the way through, and I think um, Diana Pasolka is very, very interesting as a whole voice in this, a kind of a synthesis around it. Mm-hmm. What's interesting though is that the logical inference is usually we look at the past and we say, oh, they named them as angels and demons, but they didn't really know what they were talking about. Actually, these were interdimensionals or alien entities or whatever it might be. If you're really playing logic, though, you will have to go the opposite way. Mm -hmm. 
and say, perhaps in the past, they did know what these things were, mm-hmm. and we forgot, and we're just putting new labels on, on, on them. Yeah. So yeah. If, if I sit down and say an angel is a being that can exist in um, the spiritual world while having effect on the material world, um, that it is um, an entity of pure thought um, who can be anywhere it wants to be um, by simply exercising its will, um, and can manipulate circumstances around me, whether it's for good or ill, depending on what kind of angel it is, such that it knows my intellect, my life, my body, my mind so well, even at a glance, that it can make sure that the right set of circumstances arise around me so as to produce a particular thought or a particular emotional effect, which then my will has to consider whether it will respond to or not, right? That's the the the, the basic classical understanding of what an angel or a demon is. The angel is obviously positive, demon, negative in that sense. But then we also have, I mean, look at your country and look at my country. We have thousands of years worth of lore of other beings Mm -hmm. that aren't angelic and aren't demonic and aren't entirely spiritual, but aren't entirely physical either. Um, And we have all kinds of titles and names for them and all kinds of categories for them as well. And so I think... um, one of the questions that they're not asking is they're still in the 20, 19th, 20th century model of as time progresses, this means we are actually getting better at knowing things. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at history overall, there is no evidence for that at all. History is a constant remembering and crashing, remembering and crashing, remembering. So we're in a panic at the moment because the same kind of forces and politics that we saw twice in the 20th century lead the world to, to you know, catastrophic war yeah. are arising yeah. again. And people are saying, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. It's possible because we haven't taken the historical view. We're not actually looking at, in, in, a wide, in a wide historical philosophical view at what we have done before and how we remedy that. Mm-hmm. So not to get into politics, but it, it just shows that model, yeah. you know? Um, whereas if you stand back and take the wider view, and I suppose that's one of the, it's one of the reasons why monastic life exists in every one of the religious traditions. There are the men and women who go apart, who feel themselves called apart to live um, a, a more contemplative, deep life, liminal life, whatever way you want to, want to put it. Um, and so by actively choosing the liminal, two things happen. The first is you gain perspective and your job then is to try and speak perspective to the to the polis, to the to the city at large, to the, the the political entity, and the second thing is by choosing the liminal, you become a place where the um, the divine, the other, the spiritual, whatever you want to call it, in your, depending on your own tradition, your own way of looking at things, the NHI, whatever you want to call it, yeah. is is then able to enter and speak directly to the polis in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you look at someone like say Jacques Vallée who's saying, I'm a scientist, I'm a uh, uh, um, computer, um, uh, not engineer, but what was the entrepreneur, I'm, I'm someone who has been involved with the internet from the very beginning. Um, the whole question of what actually is the internet? Where does AI come from? All of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have the huge interest in NHI or alien intelligence or whatever it might be, and folklore. And I'm also a practicing Rosicrucian. Mm-hmm. That, like it's a fascinating mix, definitely fascinating yeah. mix. 
but the question I would I would have for for a lot of those those people is, are you looking at what was known in the past simply as I have to take my present day model and impose it on mm-hmm. the past or yeah. and the present to speak to each other and to learn from each other? Um, because I think we're still in the situation where we're looking at the past and saying, simply because it, it's historically before, it is less than. Yeah. And it's, that's, um, it doesn't allow the insights of the past to actually breathe freely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's learn, a great... Learn from it as well. I mean, that's it. It's no, it's no learning from the past situations, yeah. the past the timelines that happened. It's, it's no... Yeah. So when I when I was was asked by one of the brothers to go out with him to a house to find out, you know, what was going on because people were having, you know, difficulties in their house. Mm-hmm. You know, we st- we started in a very, you know, scientific method way which was literally tell us what's going on and we will try and find every possible way of finding, you know, earthly ordinary physical circumstances that can produce what what you're talking about. Ever before we will go to the the spiritual end of things or the or the, the kind of um, the other end of things. And that continues to be the methodology and it cures about 80% of what you're what you're out with. The next 10% of stuff tends to turn out to be physical circumstances plus human trauma together. Um, and that produces a whole load of, of of stuff. And what you're dealing with there is somebody who needs um, you know, counseling and and good listening to and and um, the ability to kind of put their life back into some kind of order. And then the last ten percent is where there those those two elements may be there, but there's something else as well. Yeah. Um. But I think sometimes that 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 the the understanding is oh well if I'm talking to the religions they're only going to be off up in the spiritual end of things they're not actually dealing with the mm-hmm. the practical boots on the ground and yet. Ninety percent of what we do is boots on the ground. You're still there. I am. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that... I just. I thought you froze a wee minute there. Yeah, just a moment of stillness. <laughs> no, that's it. No, you, you froze a wee minute, and I was just kind of sort of stayed there. Um, sure. It was. I was kind of thinking. Do you see? Do you see correlation between you when you if you look into the delve into the, the UFO phenomenon and you delve into the abduction phenomena? And then, like, if you take the abduction phenomena for example, um, there's good and bad experiences on that. There's good, bad, and indifferent experiences on it. Mm. Uh, do you look at the the bad experiences in regard to? And if you look back far enough, you can correlate it to things like incubus and succubus and, and things like mm. that. Yeah, and sure. Yeah, could that be like a, a correlation in there that you could see? Um, mm. And. On another kind of on another kind of tangent for that as well, when you see these this phenomena happening, why do you think it is sometimes to do with place? Hmm. Yeah, like a window, yeah. or a certain place. Uh, absolutely. Um, so let's start. We'll start with place and talk about the, the other stuff. So, um, again, looking at the spiritual traditions, there has always been the understanding that. Um, there are holy places, right? There are there are good places. There are places that, for whatever reason, people seem to experience um, illumination, enlightenment, encounter with the divine, whatever it might be. And these often become places of pilgrimage, places of healing. You know, you could think of Lourdes, you could think of 
Mecca, you could think of, you know, so many, so many different places in, in, in the world where people kind of align spiritual intention, physical journey, physical activity, and, and maybe a spiritual event happened there that first attracted people to it. Yeah. Um, so in exactly the same way, I think all of us would say there are places we've encountered in our lives where the uncanny instinct has just been raised and we've kind of said, mm, I don't know why, I just don't like this place. There's something not working there, right? Now, does that mean it's supernatural? Not necessarily at all. It, it can be it can be a, a way of, of bringing physical circumstances together. Um, so for example, when we're called out to see a house or a property that is, in inverted commas, haunted. Yeah. Our, one of the first questions is, is there water running underneath this place? It's one of the first questions. Because what we have found over the hundreds and hundreds of years of doing this is there's a huge correlation in terms of um, bad sleep, bad dreams, um, you know, um, sometimes sick, sickness, um, feeling of, of weakness, mental fog, etc. when there is water running under a place, or particularly if water did run before, but it was dammed up or culverted in some way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the scientists can look at that and they can give you all kinds of reasons for it. You know, water makes things damp, mold is induced, we breathe the mold, whatever it might be, you know, all of those kind of things. But the fact remains that there is a huge level of um, folklore and, you know, um, geomantic uh, uh, practices in all of the traditions, etc., that would say water should be allowed to run free, houses shouldn't be built over it, they can be built beside it. You know, um, in Donegal, um, up in the north here, and I'm sure in Scotland as well, there were the people who were the kind of the fairy seers or whatever, they'd be called out to see a site before a house was built to make sure you weren't building on a fairy path or a, or a um, you know, a, a line of, of energy or whatever it might be. Um, and even the way we build temples and churches and all of that kind of stuff, the consecration of space is done in a very particular way to say, this is for a particular purpose. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most of us have lost the preparatory practices for these things. Mm-hmm. We end up just building because, oh, it has a nice view or, oh, you know, this is where I, I want to go. Or this is this is where I can afford to live, uh, as for most people nowadays. And even when people, you know, up to 50 years ago, 20 years ago, um, especially in Ireland, the vast majority of people, when they moved into a house, the very first thing they did was the house was blessed. Mm-hmm. It was the very first thing, you know. Um, the same is true in Hinduism, in Buddhism, in Judaism, etc. When the house was being set up, part of moving into a place was blessing it you know, invoking protection, asking angels or the various protectors in the traditions to be there. That has lapsed hugely. And so what we find is when we turn up to a place now, one of the things you have to do is kind of restore that. You have to sort of bless it and and, and sort of mark it. Because what that blessing did was it said to the universe, the spiritual powers, consciousness, whatever way you want to call it, it said to them, this is a place that is now safe for these people. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to them. If there was anything here, it's now, you know, in the power of the spiritual tradition, told to go and be gone. And the people are in a clean place or a clear place to begin with. Start. We have an old proverb here in Ireland that's in the Gaelic is which is the land remembers the monks. And it was the idea that wherever there had been a monastery for a number of, of years, even if the monks moved away or the monastery was destroyed, the land was still a healing place because you could go to it 
and you could partake of the the the, the spiritual meditative energies that had changed the, the the place in that way. So we still go to the holy wells, still go to the the the, the holy trees, the ruins, etc. that are there. Now, what happens if we go negative? If we go negative, what we discover is that there are places, call it the window areas or the 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 um the places that get a bad name or the liminal areas or you know crossroads and all of those kind of things um where people over time maybe experience the uncanny and then because they experience it there they bring practices to that place so in exactly the same way as the pilgrimage the holy pilgrimage place a spiritual event has happened there people have noticed it they begin to go it generates more and more presence mm -hmm. the same is true for the opposite so i think when we're when we're dealing with the, the ufo or the the alien if if we want to take that as being other yeah. as, as yeah. being part of this why wouldn't it be attracted to that if it's if it's an energy if it's a being of energy in some way or a spiritual being if you want to call it that it's going to pick that up as well mm -hmm. um and so there may be weak points or doorways or places that you can pass through and you know we've all of these stories of um encountering places that 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 um you know one minute they're there and the next minute they're not yeah. but it, yeah. in some way realities have interposed themselves um and and the fairy tales and the myths tell us what to do in that case, which is if you're in a place that 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 you didn't see before and it's turned up, you know, you'd be very polite and you make sure you get out as quickly as you can. Like this is what this is what you do. Yeah. Um, I had an experience of it myself many years ago um, in in here here in Dublin, where I ended up in a shop that just doesn't exist. It's not there. And um, I went back two days later and it wasn't there. Um, and uh, having walked three or four streets, you know intimately to try and find the place I've been before I had to say yeah okay it was there then it's not there now there's the nothing what was it um <laughs> it was one of these very strange gift shops I was I was I was um shopping for for Christmas gifts for for family like very ordinary no the, I was not in liminal mode if you want to put it like that <laughs> and uh, one uh, along one of the old uh, streets here a little street called Drury Street which is kind of all boutique little shops you know sell all kind of bits and pieces. There's an old um, arcade there with with various, um, everything from antiques to tat to beautiful books to all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Walking along, came across a little shop that, that um, the, the strange thing about it was it was Christmas. It was very, very busy. There was nobody in the shop except the lady who was, when you look back, you see these strange things. But at the time, I was just looking for a gift from my sister who at the time, she was um, 12, 13. And they had... Um, little she was big into into fairies at the time the kind of toys and stuff like that and the shop had some stuff of, of that ilk so i went in there was nobody there the shop was very very quiet um and uh i found something for her um kind of a little statuette thing went to the to, to the till paid the lady who was there there was no words between us other than the usual courtesies of shopping kind of so there was nothing of great import with this. I left, brought the object home, showed it to a friend of mine who said, oh, my sister would love one of those. The next time you're in town, could you pick one up for me and I'll pay you back? I said, of course. Two days later, I was in town, went to the street, said, ah, I'll pick this up. And the shop just wasn't there. It, it, the, the two shops either side were there, but that shop wasn't there. And I walked, as I say, for about half an hour, I walked every street around it, convinced I'd made an error. It was gone. And years later, I asked my sister, do you still have that? And she said, oh, yeah, 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 it's up on a shelf somewhere. And she went to get it and it was gone. 
nobody knows what happened to it. So that's the story. It's it's meaningless in the sense that nothing of great import seemed to happen to it, but it's meaningful in the sense that it it lets me know the mutability of place. Mm. And the fact that you have various realities that are layered on top of each other all of the time. And at times we wander from one to the other. And half the time we don't even notice we're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially, I would. Especially these days when people yeah. are on their phones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, there's a great far side cartoon um, I, I often refer to. And it's one of those beautiful, it's, it's a small boy who's holding a toy car mm-hmm. and he's looking up and he's in the middle of a dark, dark forest, trees everywhere. And the, the, the motto at the bottom says, when, t- when Tom looked up, he suddenly realized he wasn't in the toy shop anymore. And that's it. That's the joke. That's the story. So you can look at that as one of two ways. Either he, he just walked out of the shop looking at the toys so much that he arrived in this place and, and, you know, he's now lost. Or you can ask the question, you know, was he in the toy shop at all? So you've, you've that, that wonderful kind of um, mutability of, of, of possibility that's there. Um, but I think coming back to your question then about the whole UFO abduction, the whole Incubi, Succubi, all of those kind of things along the way. Um, I, I think, you know, you, you arrive at a point of saying, well, you know, does it talk like a duck? Does it walk like a duck? You know, and, and if it does all of those things, well, is it a duck? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you have beings that seem to appear and want i mean it seems to me from my reading of the literature that apart from the very positive ones that seem to happen from time to time there are three things wanted within the abduction literature all of the time physical material from the from the people they're they're abducting and they take things okay fear and shock which is what they seem to want to generate because if these creatures are as powerful as they seem to be yeah. Uh, or they say they are, then why don't they disguise themselves perfectly? Mm-hmm. If they have the power to, to make illusion, you know, the, uh, of illusion, of glamour, shall we say, as much as they seem to have, if they have that power, why do they startle and fear and, and, and make people upset and worried and all of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And the third thing is a very unhealthy um, obsession with human reproduction. Mm-hmm. So those three things traditionally were always seen as belonging to the elemental, well, not the elemental, but the fairy kingdom particularly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what those, every fairy story has that. You know, it's the idea of there's stuff human, humans have that we want. Um, and by the way, the reason you put milk out for the fairies is to stop them taking blood. You know, the, the whole thing was, was well, give me, give me a liquid that has life in it. That was the whole thing, because I don't have life. Mm-hmm. You have life. So I, I'll, you know, I'll, t- I'll take blood if I can get it, but if I can't take blood, well, I'll take milk. And the same is true for the other, um, you know, human fluids. And very often in folklore, you've got to read between the lines. So when people would make, be making offerings of milk, et cetera, it might have been other fluids that were being offered. Yeah. Um, just couldn't say it in the kind of, in, in, in the stories, you know. Um, the same is true for the shock and fear and the glamour is never perfect. It's always, well, we can appear to some extent, but there'll always be a moment where you realize or there's a moment where we have to reveal ourselves or a moment of shock. And then the third thing is this human reproduction end of things, which is we can't reproduce the way where it's very difficult. It's very hard for us to reproduce. So we have to take humans 
into our world to try and and help us and assist us. You know, I am not saying it's a one for one, yeah. but I am comes very, very close to anybody who's reading or anybody who's looking around. Um, now you can, and as I say, the logic works both ways. You can say, oh, those people hundreds of years ago met aliens. They just called them fairies. But we have to be able to say, well, those people who are meeting aliens, perhaps they're actually meeting fairies, you know? And um, it, I remember some years ago, I was living up in Donegal, the north, the north of our country, which is very similar to the Scottish Highlands. And a lot of the folklore is, it's very alive up there. And I said this to, to Tim, you know, I was talking to one of our groundsmen. We have a beautiful forest up there we look after. And there's no doubts like we're, we're, we're just one of the guardians who look after it. There's others there that look after it as well. But um, one of the, 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 uh, the men who's you know, fourth generation on that land looking after it for us, I was chatting to him one day and he was kind of pointing out various land um, sort of uh, marks that to, to, to know and, and to be aware of. And we have a large, what we would call a fairy castle, which is a huge fairy hill with a big rock that comes up, up through it. Perfectly left alone, always left alone. Um, and I said to him, you know, as he had brought it up, because they very seldom bring it up up there. I you know, said to him, well, what about, you know, faith in the fairies? Do people kind of still have a lot of belief in them up there? And he just looked at me, he said, no, no. I said, nobody believes in that. I said, all right, fair enough. He said, why would you believe it? Like, they're there. Like, it, it was just... Like he was pointing out the cows or the deer, you know, it was <laughs> the land. Like you yeah. believe in God, you know, but this is a different thing entirely and you just leave them alone. Um, so they had a, an extraordinary experience there where they were creating a new path and you rode some years ago through the, through the forest and they kept moving rocks. And when the workers would come back the next day, the rocks were all back exactly where they had been. So it happened three times. And at the end of that, they just went, okay. The road isn't going through here, and they just left it, left it grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big boulders that came came back every every night. They were there's mad, mad stopping at it. Like I heard, I've had the same same type of stories as well. Because they, when you go across to like Iceland and some of the Nordic countries, I mean they've got a strong belief in folklore, and yeah. they, they, yeah. they'll put roads in places where there's like fairy mounds or yeah, divert around. Yeah, 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 yeah. The whole fear aspect of it, though, when you're, you're talking about that in regards to the, like, part of the abduction phenomena, I'm not saying all of it, because there's something that is, like, love and light, and there's something that's quite negative, but when you, you look at the point where you have the, they're trying to induce fear, some type of fear, and that, that kind of, there's a kind of thinking in that, because, like, you're right in what you say, if they're this far advanced in technologies or whatever, they should be able to mask whatever they're doing without people knowing or at least being as scared and, and things like that. And it yeah. seems to be something like that, something like feeding and fear. And one, one kind of thing where it did kind of stick in my mind for some cases where you hear um, through the books and reading some stories about it, and this it's, has quite happened quite a few times where this is happening and, and people um, have prayed or asked for Jesus Christ and things like that. These things have disappeared. So have disappeared because they they don't like that or disappear because of the fact that they're they can see that they're they're causing some type of harm or grief and they're, they're leaving because of that i mean i find that aspect to pretty interesting um and yeah yeah the, the pray the gray away as as some of yeah. the american uh, evangelicals were, were, were talking about um i i, I mean I, I i'll quote 
Tim Renner on, on this, which I think is is important, is is that it may not necessarily be about. So you've got to be careful about using something like this as a proof text for your own your own way of being. Yeah. Um. So if you have somebody who says, well, you know, I prayed to Jesus or I prayed to Muhammad or I prayed to Buddha or whatever it might be. And this happened, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm going to speak generally and then I'll speak from my own tradition. So at the moment, I'm just speaking generally um, with within the general understanding of that. All that we can say is something happened. I performed an action. The thing stopped. OK, so it is logical to presume that the action is what stopped the thing. Mm-hmm. Now, the next question, then, which is a much deeper question, is um, what was happening during the thing? Was it that I focused my attention elsewhere because prayer is the focusing of attention? Okay, fundamentally the focusing of attention somewhere else. And is it a case of that it was actually me focusing my attention elsewhere that switched this experience off? Especially if it's an internal experience, you know, more than an external one. Is it a question of the deity or divinity or holy being that I turned to responded to me and I received help at a spiritual level that cast these things away or scatter them or whatever, right? That's another possibility. Hmm. Third possibility is that, um, and again, this is purely logic, that the other thing that was doing the abducting, let's call it the alien for want of a better word, is so determined to confuse and to deceive that knowing this was going on, whatever this produces in my consciousness or in my body means that I won't be producing whatever it is they want to receive from me, be that fear or some kind of adrenaline or hormone or whatever I'm producing physically, biologically, neurobiologically, whatever it is. So, okay, that's not there, lads, right? The shop is closed today. We go. Yeah. Now, that's generally. So generally, from a logical point of view, I can't tell you which one of those things that is. All I can say is that there seems to be a consistency in the literature out there that when people have prayed or have practiced spiritually, this seems to have an effect whereby, at least in some proportion of cases, the abduction phenomena stops. Okay, that's as much, that's as far as we can go scientifically, mm-hmm. logically. Now, if I'm speaking to to it from my tradition, from the Catholic tradition, I would say, well, the moment we call on the name of God, God is consciously, I mean, God is always present, omnipresent, but God respects our will to the extent that God will only act in and when we invite the divine to do so. So I'm in a moment of horror or pain or spiritual danger or whatever it might be from these these things, these, these beings. I invoke the divine name or a holy person or whatever it might be, and there is a response and they are scattered. Um, From the consistency of that, that would lead me to presume that in some way those other beings are oppositional to what we would consider the divine, the spiritual, the the, the higher levels, the higher realms of it. Um, And I've seen it work. I've seen it work many, many times for people. Now, people then say to me, but what, what, I mean, if someone is calling on Buddha and that's happening for them, or if someone's calling on the prophet and that happens for them, you know, how can you as a Catholic or as a Christian say, well, you know, what's happening for them? 
And it's very simple. In, in the Catholic understanding, any good conscience that reaches out towards the divine, whatever name they put on that, God responds in generosity and in kindness and in compassion to them, regardless of what name we put on it. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully along the, the life path, there is the illumination, the fullness of truth. And for me, as I was only speaking for me as an individual, I have found that within the Catholic tradition, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I hope for is that every human being everywhere at all times is continually stretching for the fullness of truth. And I, you know, wish everyone well on that path. Um, the issue, though, becomes. So. Barbara um, on six degrees, I think you, you were on six degrees, weren't you? Six degrees. of Yeah. yeah totally. So Barbara had a guest on there. It's, and if, if anybody hasn't listened to that, please listen to that podcast. It's, it's an extraordinary podcast. It's, it's, but uh, Barbara had a, had a, a guest on, um, and I've mentioned this before in other places, it fascinated me, who was going through abduction phenomena and wasn't a person of religious faith, if you want to call it that. Yeah. But wanted to call on, you know, something to assist and began to call on Elbereth from the Tolkien literature. And found that the moment they called on Elbereth, for those who don't know their Tolkien, shame on you. But for those who don't know their Tolkien, um, Elbereth is the the the, the sort of um, feminine. Um, she's a star, the feminine, feminine, great feminine hero of the of the Elven peoples. Mm-hmm. And to put it as simply as that. So calls on Elbereth, and whenever he would call on Elbereth, the abduction stopped. So he was left then with the question of, well, what does that mean? Now, what he didn't know, as far as I'm aware, what he didn't know, I shouldn't say what he didn't know, as far as I'm aware, what he didn't know was that Tolkien writing was very, very consciously writing a religious work when he was writing The Lord of the Rings. And Elbert is a direct corollary for the Blessed Virgin, Mm -hmm. um, for for Tolkien. So in calling out Elbert, de facto, you are calling on Mary, de facto, you are calling on Christ. So there is that, that, that level of, again, the divine will take whatever is offered to it in order to be able to to move or to, or to be present. Now, I haven't spoken to that individual. I'm dying to speak to that individual just to see where they are with the whole thing now. But going back to Tim Renner's point, Tim Renner's point is there is something about faith, regardless of what tradition, that seems to be inimical to these entities. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to a big question. And the big question is, what is faith? And faith is, in its basic form, faith is an attentiveness, giving the, the, the we would say the energy of the soul is, in its purest form is attention. Mm-hmm. So if I am receiving attention from you, whether it's love or hate or anything else in between, I am receiving the energy of your soul. If I'm receiving fear, if, you know, if, 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 um, if I'm causing you fear, I'm also receiving attention. I'm receiving energy, but it's a very, very high, strong energy of the soul. Mm-hmm. So all down through folklore, all down through theology, all down through spirituality, is when the evil entity appears, what it wants from you is fear. And what it's terrified of is dismissiveness, humor, um, anything that sort of belittles it, because that immediately diffuses the 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 the, the energy of fear, the energy of of um, 
of uh, presence that it's looking for or it's feeding on. Mm. And the moment that happens, its its power is gone, lost. Mm. So to 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 conclude that whole thing, um, what I would say is that 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 if it works for people, wonderful. If it stops them having horrific experiences, wonderful. Mm. But engage, engage, like, and if it's if if you're engaged, if you're receiving these these experiences, and you you're not a person of faith, or you're not a person of spirituality, and you're saying, well, what can I do? Well, take the example of that individual who found something that he could hook faith onto because it was an experience of goodness and light and beauty in his in his world through through a story, and call out to that and see what happens. Mm-hmm. See what happens, you know, um, because it, it's it's a thread. I find that the the more sciency um, uh, investigators of this of this stuff don't really want to to engage with. And if you look at the spiritual traditions all the way along, we have said the psychology of the experiencer is just as as important as the event. Mm-hmm. So if I if I meet somebody who says to me, "I've had a vision of a saint," and the saint told me to do A, B, or C, well, the first basic thing is is the individual's saying. Okay, that's fine. Are they suffering from any kind of mental illness that would produce hallucination or stuff like that? And if they're not, then, you know, there's a level of, okay, now I need to listen. But what can often happen is the individual doesn't know that even if a spiritual entity is speaking to them, they will often speak through their psychology. This is, the, this is in UFO terms, co-creation. And so if co-creation is happening and... Um, the psychology of the individual is being used. One of the things that we will find is that the essence of the spiritual experience is true and pure and good. But the way in which the experience is dressed may have to be discerned more clearly. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot to look at with all of this and a lot of threads to be kind of pulled apart. But I think if people even just took the, the logical path first, mm-hmm that logic flows both ways then then we have we begin to look at um the past having an awful lot to offer to us in terms of how to deal with this in the present so that's an interesting part of the phenomena it really really is that that i mean in in regards to i mean what's your thoughts on you have obviously people's claims abductions and, and witnesses and, and things like that and then Sometimes it's no physical. I mean, it seems like these are no physical or they're, they're astral. I mean, it's almost like it's an astral type thing happening as well. Hmm. It's just as it is um, real. Yeah. Then you, you then you could fall into the whole kind of category about astral traveling, leaving the body, and is it actually happening? Is it actually happening where you are? Is it happening somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, again... These are these aren't these aren't new concepts within 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 the traditions. I mean, speaking for my own tradition, I'm I'm a Capuchin Franciscan. One of the most famous of our Capuchin friars was a, a man uh, who was known as Padre Pio, Father Pio, um, who was a, a healer and a stigmatist. He's a saint. Um, died in 1967, I think it was. Um, one of the most interesting individuals. Um, continually was investigated and poked and prodded at by science. Indeed, the Vatican ordered various investigations into him throughout his life. But one of the one of the gifts he seems very definitely to have had, and and I mean, I, I've 
lived with and spoken to brothers who lived with him um, was the ability to to kind of know things at a di- at a distance uh, and also to to bilocate, um, which um, we would define as being in one or more places at the same time, mm-hmm. um, consciously interacting with individuals. So Pio was asked under obedience. He he didn't like to talk about these things, but he was put under obedience and, and part of the investigations to talk about the bilocation end of things. And they asked him, you know, what was happening? He said, well, at different times, it takes different forms. He said, there are times when um, my guardian angel takes on my appearance um, and works at a distance from me to, 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 to appear. And in those instances, it came as even a surprise to Pio to hear he'd been seen elsewhere or, or whatever. But it was his it, it was so an, a spiritual being who's working with him, who takes on his appearance and affects a reality. Mm-hmm. The second level was what he called, and this is always interesting to me, a stretching of the soul. He said, I feel an elongation of the soul whereby even though I'm here now talking to you, operating to you, at one and the same time, I am consciously aware of being elsewhere and interacting. But in those instances, he said it was very clear he was he, he knew he was being sent to do something, achieve that, do it, and bang, he was back. The third was he said he would fall into a deep meditative state wherever he was. And it was as though as he closed down here, woke up over there and was perfectly physical. I mean, he 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 interacted with people physically, you know, they, he, he touched things, he lifted things, he did all of those, those kind of things when he was there. But what's interesting is those three different levels. Um and and when we, we look at the at the take it back to the abduction end of things or the or the 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 um experience, the experiencer end of things. Mm-hmm. Um What's often interesting is you 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 might have an event where two or three experiences are experiencing the same event, but they see it in different ways, or they perceive it in different in different ways, or their reportage back afterwards is slightly different because again we're getting this out of body out of consciousness um, experience, or we have the whole thing of, you know, did I leave the bed? Was I taken away through the wall the way I thought I was, or was there actually a body on the bed all the way through? And what's always interesting to me is, if you look at the literature, all of those things seem to happen. There are the physical displacements. There are the non-physical displacements. There are the, um, you know, I was brought into the, um, the famous An- Andreessen affair. Andreessen affair. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole book on it, which is really interesting because it goes from your basic common or garden abduction right the way through to a kind of whole cosmic psychodrama that the person is is being brought through. Um, Fascinating case, but you know whether she ever left her kitchen. Who knows? All that they could say was that there was evidence in the grounds of the house that something had been there. They would say landed, been there, and disappeared again. Um, so, and they also have what they call, and we see this also in the bilocation cases, what they call telescoping of time. So somebody seems to be away for three days, four days, or whatever, they come back and they discover only an hour is gone, or vice versa. Yeah. You know? um, so what are we dealing with? I think we're dealing with things that at times operate on the physical level, at times operate on the mental level, and at time, times operate on the spiritual level, and seem to have an ability to move between those levels in a way that the vast majority of us 
without, you know, huge work on ourselves would find extremely difficult to to do so. Um, and they may also have the ability to trigger um, releases of endogenous um, uh, psychoactive chemicals within us mm-hmm. um, to work through that or to move to move through that, you know. Um, so if all of those things are going on at once, then it's it's no wonder that people are then left with this horrible experience of I had something that happened to me that was absolutely real. Mm-hmm. I can't prove it to you. And not only that, the things that I thought would prove it to you, put a camera a camera on me when I'm in my bed, you'll see me being taken. Mm-hmm. They have the experience, but they, they aren't seen or the camera fails or whatever it might be at, at, at the particular moment. So I, I think, again, we're being pulled constantly into a world of, I don't mean this in a religious sense, but a world of faith mm-hmm. um, where you have to take the experiencer at their word and it's one of the reasons I praise podcasts like Where Did the Road Go or Strange Familiars or Six Degrees because they they have they might have their theories about what's going on, but they will listen to the experience or just tell their experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not attempt to tell them what, you know, what what really happened or what, yeah, you know, this, what, is, this is what you've seen. <laughs> yeah. Because, because I, I mean, I can meet with somebody in the morning who can tell me that, you know, um, in fact, I have met with somebody who, who told me that they had um, an experience with a small humanoid um, that they saw very, very clearly walking down the road. Um, and it, they didn't say alien. It was small humanoid who then disappeared. Um, I know that person. I know how generally solid and sane they are. Yeah. All yeah. I can do is hear that. Now, can I, I can think to myself, maybe it happened internally, maybe it happened externally, maybe it happened astrally, whatever word you want to put on it. But as far as they're concerned, it happened and it had a major effect on their life. Mm-hmm. All we can do is look at the effects, I think. It's, it's mad. It's, it's one of the kind of stories I want to run by you, and my listeners have, have heard it before. Mm. It was... Um, one back in the day where I stayed when I was younger, and that's what I was just asking about place, because the place no far from here, there's a, a vast array of different sightings after them. I mean, mm. it's, there's like old ancient burial mounds and, and things like that date back. Like, sure. Mm. Like um, five, six thousand years and stuff, right? But I'm not saying that's the, the, the thing, but it's, it seems to be quite a lot of things in that general location and further on for that into the towns. They're all old mining towns. But going to what you were saying there about like somebody telling you that you know the person and you know they're telling the truth. You've, you've never seen it for yourself, but they've seen it. Sure. Yeah. And then it was, it was we, we stayed in a house where, don't get into too much detail, but we stayed in a house where there was numerous things. It was like a, three older sisters, a bunch of, kind of adolescent kids in the house. We had... Um, like my sister getting grabbed, my mum got grabbed. There was um, something at the door quite a lot of the time trying to get in the door, like the handle going, things like that. And it wasn't just figments of imagination. I mean, my mum phoned the police a few times. My, my dad was a long-distance lorry driver. He was away most of the week. So these kids in the house, we stayed in a, a normal kind of council house. It was semi-detached. It was a kind of big street of people. And um, we had a number of things happen in the house. It was always a house where I used to call, think it was like, just fear. I mean, try to sleep with the light on, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my mum seen this um, 
a black thing come out the floor and disappear into the, the neighbour's uh, wall. Um, a number of other things happened throughout the years. And it culminated on my dad was a total skeptic. He would come back for like being a, like out working and just think hmm. he'd like the odd story around again. He somebody couldn't sleep because of this, or there was somebody at the door, or there was like somebody had been grabbed or touched or whatever in the house. And um, it, it culminated in they were just about a kind of version on splitting up kind of thing, and they were arguing, and they were like having a full blown argument, and the living room door burst open, and this black ball type thing shot round my dad's legs and then it was it went over to the couch and it was um, basically the story I heard it, it disappeared it disappeared um, behind the couch and they couldn't find whatever it was we used to have a black dog that was in the living room that was in the, the kitchen locked in the kitchen and the cats were outside so this thing they couldn't find what it was and it totally freaked my dad out he was he, he all his my mum said all his words were it never had a head it never had a head whatever this thing was and it was it was interesting where the that whole kind of story culminated over a number of years in that house. It was a, just an uneasy feeling about it. And I, when I was doing the podcast, and there was a number of stories in the area. There was one that was literally probably half a mile, three quarters of a mile from where I stayed. It was a prominent UFO case in Scotland where there was a a large black kind of triangle or craft scene. There was police involved. Guy had missing time. Things like that. It was back in 94, and I, I recorded it with him, put it out, and somebody else came to me a story, and um, we had moved for the house, and it was my mum's old neighbour, and I, it was just synchronicity, I kind of went back to the game, mm. and I said, um, do you know the story, do you know the story of the, the black thing? And she said, yeah, I know all about it, and her retelling the story was that um, they had, basically, these things happened over the years, they were at a, a psychic fair type thing, and um, I think they invited the psychic back for another later time, like another day. They came back, and the lady straight away said that uh, we used to have two massive ribbon trees outside the house. And you'll know going back to like kind of Celtic mythology about like the yeah, 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 absolutely. Ribbon, ribbon trees are quite small and they don't, they don't grow really, really quick. Yeah. And these were I used to climb in them when I was younger. I mean, wow. I used to climb up in them. I mean, yeah. It's like, like That's big. Yeah, 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 yeah. These were the, the trunks were like that. I mean, literally, like they were very one, old. Yeah. One was yeah, one yeah. side at the 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 kind of the gate when you went in. There was one the other side. He's walked up these steps, two of them, mm. and um, at the back of them there was another one right at the back garden. So there was like a triangle, a triangle of trees, um, ribbon trees, and um, the lady had said that they ward off evil or something to that effect, mm. and she had they had the kind of readings and stuff like that. There's another thing that happened as well when my sister had said that when she's the room that they're doing the reading in, she had a bedroom there like years before. Hmm. Her boyfriend was in the bedroom and he claimed that he'd, he woke up one up. It was in a dream, in fact. He related it as a dream. He said he woke up and it was a walk in wardrobe and he seen this small, ugly being and it, and then it like it transformed into like a man type thing and then disappeared. But he related it as a dream. And um, but they retold that story in the psychic say that that wasn't a dream that that kind of that was here. Mm. So the psychic had told my um, my mum basically that my dad was having an affair. Right? She said I wouldn't normally tell you this, but I need to tell you. So she she told her a lot of things about my dad. She could ex- describe it with a T. It was all her drive, all these different things. She was there for the same town. This was back in the day, and it was after the combination of that that had the argument. 
So it was like the weekend or whenever he came back. So this okay. accident, this thing happened, and then they say that the thing it went round his legs was on the couch, and it moved in the couch to tea that fast that they couldn't discern what it was, and then it disappeared. And then they say that um, there was a stench for the next door room where this thing was before, and there was a, a grotesque man in the corner, and he disappeared. I never heard that part of the story in Paul Kenny recently, but that was like the my mum's friend kind of relaying that. My sister said she never heard that part of the story. Okay. Uh, but it was, um, there was a lot to unpack there in that. We, we kind of moved away after that. My dad was a yeah. story, like, he totally like, freaked him out. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you yeah. could pick it apart if you want in regards to like, what, what, can you, what's your thoughts on any of that kind of story? Okay. Um, wow. Well, I, I mean, I would start with, Obviously, it's at a remove and I've never been there. So the the it's always going to be, I don't know, is, is the is the is the, the fundamental answer. But if, if you were just to take it on on as, as the story you were being told, um, the, the, I mean, to me, it sounds more than likely that that in some way the house had been built on something, um, uh, whether whether prehistoric or older or whatever, but that was being inhabited in some way by, by something elemental. Um, the, 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 um, the gathering of a family and the, 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 the underground tensions in a family um, can often uh, act as triggers for these things. It's like it triggers them awake or triggers them present. Um, so the fact that you had um, young people growing up, going through adolescence, etc. Um, uh, through there, we often see a huge uptake in psychic activity. Traditionally, people think of it as being a, a very um, girl thing, but it's b- both sides, both, absolutely both sides. Um, uh, so yeah, so that 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 can that can certainly trigger stuff along the way. I mean, I don't, I, you don't need to comment on this, but wh- I mean, if if there was you know, affairs going on or stuff like that or disunity between between the parents, even if the children are, are unaware of it, psychically they are aware of it. You know, they will pick up the tension, they will pick up the the, the difficulty and that can begin to resentment um or or fear again become generators to some of these these kind of things. The three large rowan trees in a triangle really, really intrigue me. Um because that's almost like it could be as much to keep something in as to keep something out. But now cut them down. <laughs> yeah, well, this is what happens. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we moved and I was up there seeing, um, like she said, across the road. And the, the, mm. the funny it was a high point of the town. The actual street, yeah. the actual street's called Mount Pleasant. And it was like, <laughs> very good. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, one yeah. Of the, it was one of the high points. I actually did go back and look at past maps, older, older, older maps to see if there was anything there, but I, I couldn't see nothing. It was just No, I'd say, I mean, it's look, it's it's Scotland and it's Scotland like Ireland. There there is no patch that doesn't have something underneath it. You know, I mean th- th- this is this is the thing. Um but it's it, it sounds to me like um something was being generated or triggered by what was going on within the family. Um and because of that, the the idea of something outside trying to get in, okay, you can go you can go total Jungian, and you can say that the truth the truth was outside the house trying to get in. Yeah. Okay. You can also go supernatural and say um, 
that in that in some way uh, something was being attracted to the energy with, within the place and was trying to make its presence felt. And it's interesting that this was happening only when your dad was away until the last big manifestation, you know, the manifestation that he that he saw. Um, because, again, sometimes the presence of a skeptic, um, you know, we, we have what we call dampeners paranormal dampeners that there are particular people who you can bring them into a place and i mean it could have been going crazy two seconds before their mere presence will just shut everything down and it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't believe in fact a lot of a lot of the guys um that i know are would love to see something but it just knocks it out completely we've one guy we actually bring with us uh to places where things are going really badly because he, he can he can just knock it out it's, it's like a like a, a dampener switch once he walks in um, but the, the other, the element of the, the small man becoming tall in the dream, the idea of the small being that didn't have a head, it, it really smacks hugely of the kind of, um, the fairy lore more than anything else. You know, um, we are, we are, we are the small who can become big and the big who can become small was the way they announced themselves to one fairy seer, um, and and you, you never actually know um, the truth of us by looking at us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could well be a combination of those factors together, you know. Um, but I would wonder, like, for those trees to be as old as they were and as big as they were, because as you were saying, Mountain Rowan does not get that big except for hundreds of years. Um, something... Like, yeah, but, I mean, the, literally, the must have... Because I was, I can remember when I was... Uh, between ages anyway, six up to twelve, I climbed in the trees. In yeah, six. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, but the, I mean, as you say, the rowan was was for protection. I mean, that's what it was. It was one of the one of the few trees that that they couldn't use. Um, uh, so yeah, um, and often magical implements, etc., were made from rowan wood because of that. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably a combination of them, of, of those things. The psychic co- coming in, I'm always slightly wary of psychics coming in. Um, there are definitely sensitive people who have extraordinary gifts in terms of telepathy and clairvoyance and all of that kind of stuff. But again, it's like what we were talking about earlier. It can be mediated through psychology. Um, and so sometimes the psychic can think what I'm getting is absolutely clear and truthful. Um, I'm always wary of those people who make very declarative statements about individuals, particularly where there's moral judgment involved, because they may not actually be 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 clear in terms of what's going on at all. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating case. I'd love to put feet on the ground there at some stage and 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 walk it and see what it, see what it feels like now. Are, are you aware the people who are living there now? Are there any kind of manifestations or? I've no. I know the way that she's across the road for Um and I don't know the people. Or I, I would in the actual. If I've podcast about it before, I've never even relayed where it was, what what number it was, or anything like that, because I don't want. To mm, sure, of course. Yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, I did. I mean, I did though. I went back to. Mm. One of my childhood friends stayed next door um, in the in the semi-detached house. An mm. interesting thing. There was a, it was quite a lot to the story um, as well. And well, he stayed next door, and I'd said to him, um, "Did did you see anything? Did you ever see anything when, when you were there? Because like you, yeah." And and he said, "No, I think he asked his sisters. He had, he had like um, an older brother and another two sisters, whatever." And um, he said, "No, but." We used to have things at their old property before they went there. They they said they seen like 
black things standing at the bottom of their bed and things like that in their last property before they moved there. But just an interest. It's an interesting place. I mean, there's the the mounty different UFO. Um, like most of the kind of main prominent UFO abductor scenarios, like where like actual prominent cases, um, are no far from here. I mean, you've got like Bonnie Bridge, the whole kind of Bonnie Bridge thing in Scotland is like sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Like about thirty yeah. miles. You've got like the whole Bob Taylor incident, which is five miles from here. Mm. Uh, in that town, there've been number of sightings in that town, but. That that story. I mean, when I started kind of looking into some of the stuff, I can remember. I can remember the thing about the black thing, mm. and because it, my mum and dad and like a hundred and fifty percent believe them because like they're, they're no like they're basically not going to talk bull and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. Like yeah. And it was just yeah. interesting. I mean, with that, and then kind of find out a bit more about it. Um, it's it's interesting as well that I mean it just strikes me that as you were saying that the sighting nearby was a triangular craft and that the three rowan trees are put in a triangular shape. You know, it's it's um, there's there's all of that that kind of um, window high strange. Well, somebody somebody stand. I, I talked to a guy who relayed a few stories to me, and um, he stays in England now, and he used to. Um, playing my sisters and stuff like that. I mean, he was older. I mean, a wee bit older, maybe on his late teens. He sure. seen like a triangle. It was like a three-point triangle above this, above the, the actual um, um, house in the sky. And he'd seen mm. a few other things in that in the late day. And it was just lights in the sky, but it was definitely a triangular formation of some type of craft. But the, the craft, the, the triangular craft that was um, um, seen with, um, the guy's name is Andrew Swan. He had, mm. And I know I talk about this story quite a lot because it intrigues me quite a lot. No far from there, it was like there are, there are an old kind of road that runs between um, the back of the town, uh, an old mm. kind of farm road. And he was up looking at an electrical storm. He seen this thing. Mm. Thought it was, he, he thought it was a light aircraft going to crash in the field. Uh, he said it was an August night. It was going to, um, it was getting dark, but he could still see. And he, he thought it was something going to land or crash. And he ended up. Um, he drove into the next town and along that back road to try and find whatever this thing was mm. and he couldn't find it and then when he drove along this bank of trees the thing, the thing came across the top of his car 15 foot above his car and it sat in the field about probably 50 to 100 metres away from him just sat hovering like 15 foot above the ground and it was shaped, wow. shaped like a Toblerone so you got oh, yeah. a Toblerone yeah, yeah. Yeah, point, yeah. Down, point down the way another, another point at the front though and it was splayed lightly at the back just matte black he said it was like 40 foot long and it was about um, like wow. 20 foot at the back and then about 15 foot high. And he, I interviewed him on the spot. It was strange but true back in the day and stuff about the story. But he um, um, wasn't he drinking anything like that. It was like some kind of car racing and stuff came back and he'd seen that little storm and that's when he seen this thing. And he, um, he ended up, um, he had a halogen light in his car and he shone the light on the on the object and as soon as he did that his light blew and he got oh, I, rem- I remember this story yeah 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 his car his car in the start and he phoned the police yeah he saw it turned yeah. up as the police turned up this thing um, gone the course yeah yeah, yeah. um but it, when he got when they researched it and stuff like that and they got the transit mm. the police he'd, he'd lost about an hour and a half of missing time wow and he didn't want regressed because there was another man in 1992 Mm. Him and his his work colleague got abducted about about fifty miles for the on a back road with a, a craft and they got regressed and it and it, it ruined his life and it didn't he basically yeah. talked to him so then he get it done. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, the the hypnosis thing is, is I mean, more and more as I as I listen to to 
people talking about it. It's it. I think they're actually having another experience. You know, it's it, the, the hypnosis is almost um, rendering them into a kind of another um, out of body experience that may not necessarily be the experience they had at the time at all. Um, so yeah, it can be it can be dodgy. Um, but you, anything that moves kind of will and consciousness, I, I I wonder about. And I think people haven't talked about it a whole lot, but I mean, I'm sure you watch the whole hellier end of things with, with Newkirk and all of that. Yeah. And they do that experiment of trying to induce an alien abduction through hypnosis alone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think there's another more. To it would be really interesting to know what experiences he had afterwards. Yeah. You know, uh, because it's, it's kind of just left there. Um, and now I know for the sake of the narrative and, and, and editing and all of that, but um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And it, it, it always slightly bothered me um, in, in terms of the, um, the damage that could be done by sort of pushing somebody into an experience like this without necessarily mm-hmm. warning them of or, or equipping them to be able to deal with whatever the manifestations might be afterwards, you know. Um, I, th- many years ago, I think I've mentioned this on another podcast, but there was an individual I knew, he was an anthropology student, um, and he was going to um, Australia uh, to do um, a kind of an experience, a live-in experience with one of the Aboriginal tribes there for a while, um, studying initiation and things like that within the within their their particular tribal experience and before he went he was a very academic anthropology student who was talking all about the, the the sort of liminality of their being and the way that they lived and their their kind of worldview etc but from a very academic point of view and he was saying you know and of course they believe in spirits and they believe in this and they believe in that and he was telling me this and i said what well, i believe in spirits and i believe in those things as well and he was sort of saying, ah, oh, yeah, but it's a different, you know, it's different. You're, you're from a kind of a Western point of view. I said, no, I said, this is exactly the same, you know. But anyway, he went off, had his experience. About six months after he came back, I met the guy. Totally changed. Mm-hmm. Utterly changed. And the very first thing he said to me, uh, we were meeting at a social occasion with other people. The very first thing he said to me when we got together was, it's all real. It's all real. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, um, what do you mean? And he said, the, the whole thing we were talking about the last time, the spirits, he said, they're real. I said, I know they're real. I said, we've spoken about that before. And he'd had this extraordinary experience of being out with these these wonderful um, uh, men. He was with them for some of their, their ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And they just got tired of him ac- academically asking the questions all of the time. So they they said, OK, we'll bring you to meet one of the spirits. And they brought him out and the, into the into the the outback, I suppose, and and uh, had a particular ceremony. And in the middle of the ceremony, um, a voice spoke to him out of the fire um, and and wanted to know, who's the white guy, you know, in the middle of all of it, like was asking questions of the other the other elders about this. And they were saying, look, we've asked you to come and to speak to him because he just isn't getting. Mm-hmm. So it spoke to him and told him all about his life um, and then disappeared. And they said, oh, it's just one of the spirits who hangs around here. But we gave him the fire to, to speak out of. Um, so his whole worldview was just blown apart completely, utterly, utterly changed. But what was wonderful was they had looked after him for a few days afterwards and made sure you know, you're OK. 
it's it's all right you know um it gave him the the ability to kind of integrate this and now that he was back um he was sort of dealing with dealing with it in his own way um but what was what was fascinating for me the comparison of that with the hellier experiences and now i don't know maybe there was a lot of follow-up and aftercare and all of that i don't know but it just seemed to me that the individual going in wasn't prepared for what they were about to experience mm-hmm. um and so when it comes to your friend or your your acquaintances and and the previous ones having those experiences of abduction or you know even sighting of vehicles and missing time and I think they're very wise to just go okay it's missing you know if it comes back it comes back mm-hmm. if not for it I don't necessarily know I'm going to discover what happened during that time mm-hmm. you know that's interesting. Listen, I've I've kept you for quite a good bit of time, and um, no problem. I'm sorry I've been so so. Uh, no, not at all. Listen, it's been great, and um, if you if you'd come on again, it'd be great. Cause I had a, a raft of questions, and I didn't ask ask a lot, and I basically just kind of went. Sure, I'm, I'm happy to come on again anytime. No problem. No problem. I, I I enjoy these conversations. It's always good to to talk to somebody who's kind of taking the wider view of all of these things. So yeah, yeah, it would be good. Totally. So listen, Brother Richard, it's been fantastic having you on and I would definitely hope to get you back on again soon. And um, it's been great listening to all your kind of thoughts and obviously insights on phenomena and stuff like that. It's, it, it pickles my brain, you know what I mean? So it's good to get well, much insight. It's pickling, it's pickling mine as well, so don't <laughs> worry. I, I mean, I, I, there's nobody here who's who, who, who knows you know that that's the thing it's it, it always comes down to a matter of just being open and i think following you know following the truth trying to follow the truth as much as we can and and keep challenging the way we reflect on things um but yeah thank you for having me it's been a, it's been a great gift yeah thank you very much thanks again for listening everyone that's a wrap tonight and don't forget to subscribe share and like the content if you like it that is and also even leave a review it helps with algorithms helps us grow and brings more content to the show thanks again and catch you all soon